You are listening to the podcast of Calvary Church in Irwin, Pennsylvania. For more information, you can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com. I love getting to see everyone here, and I love getting to see so many of you online. And uh, as we kind of jump into God's Word this morning, uh, can we take a moment and breathe? Like, breathe, we've made it another week. We've made it another day. We're still here. Um, And maybe for you, this isn't where you saw things going. Maybe for you, this is exactly where you hoped things would be. And maybe your job is going great and things are going better, never better. And maybe, maybe in your job, you don't know if you're going to have a job tomorrow. And, and all of these things we, we, we represent. Let's just take a moment and breathe and say, God, you've put breath in my lungs. I still am not finished. You're not finished with me. And, uh, this, this past week was an interesting week. You know, it doesn't matter what side of the political aisle you find yourself on. The truth is, this past week was a pretty uh, disturbing week. For a few moments, I want to just talk to you as human beings, as people. Not as Republicans or Democrats or patriots or revolutionaries, but human beings. Because what we're experiencing in our nation, in our world, isn't the result of poor government bad legislation or failing, the failing of institutions. It's the brokenness of the human heart. The church, our church, the church, capital C, doesn't exist to back political agendas. We aren't here to rail against this leader or that leader for the wrong they've done. Ultimately, we are here to be a place of redemption, healing, and the restoration of a fallen world. And I know what we're experiencing, what we're watching on the news or hearing about on social media is incredibly difficult, disturbing. But let me give you some context to really what's happening. If you go back all the way to the third chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter three, the beginning of human existence, we are only three chapters into the, to the world being be existed, like as God created. We're three chapters in and sin already enters the world. Adam and Eve disobey what God had put in place and the order that he had instituted. From that point on, as sin entered the world, the order that God had created begins to unravel. Adam and Eve's own son, Cain, would ruthlessly kill his brother Abel, bringing the result of sin into our world already, death and destruction. And for thousands and thousands of years from that point, God has been actively working to redeem the brokenness of our world. It's a messy, sometimes ugly process but, but that has not and will not stop the work of God and what he is doing through his people and his church. Now, come to 2021. We are part of this story of redemption. We aren't on the sidelines watching the world burn around us, but we are active participants in the redemption of a screwed up, messed up world. This is what Paul writes In Philippians 2.15, that we are to be blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. This is what we're called to be. We aren't part of the destruction and burning of our world, but we are part of God's plan to restore and redeem it. That's why we're here today. 
That's why, why our staff, our leaders, that's why we show up every day, not to prop up some religious institution or organization, but to continue the work of fulfilling God's mission that started all the way back in Genesis chapter three of redeeming the pain that's present in our world. And the question that maybe you have, that I have, is what does that look like in 2021? What does that look like for me? What does it look like for us as a church? It's more important in a time like this, in a season like this, in moments like this, that we recognize that oftentimes God uses uncomfortable circumstances. God uses difficult circumstances to transform the world. That, that if we are willing to step out of our comfort zone to make the world the way we'd like it to be, we're going we're gonna to fall short. But when we can step out of our comfort zone and, and ultimately make the world the way God wants it to be, we step into his power and his purpose. And this can sometimes bring about some uncomfortable circumstances when the people God transforms, the people he redeems and restores, don't look like us. While, while it might be more comfortable for a season if the church of Jesus looked just like me or just like you or just like us, talked like us, liked all the same things we like, the reality is we are called to reproduce Jesus in others, not simply ourselves. I would partially love it if everyone loved peanut butter. But you know what? I get to benefit from the fact that not everyone loves peanut butter because you can just push it my way. Um, not everyone is like us. This means that the church should be diverse in every way. It should represent the broken world outside our walls that we are called to bring hope and restoration to. Throughout church history, though, this has been a very, very difficult idea. Uh, Let me give you an example. On April 10th, 1829, uh, there was a young baby boy born to a couple in Sninton, England, just outside of Nottingham. This young boy's name was William, and he would grow up in a mostly poor home, uh, not because his father didn't have a good paying job, he did, but his father loved to spend money. Because of that, his family lived in poverty. He would eventually lose his father at the age of 14 and be forced to, to, to take on a job as a, a pawn broker's apprentice to provide some income for his family. At the age of 15, some friends invited him to a Wesleyan chapel there where he would commit his life to Jesus. Uh, William wrote in his diary about that moment Uh, He said, God shall have all there is of William Booth. Then after hearing the American evangelist Charles Finney, William endeavored to commit his life to serving and reaching the poor. Booth was single-minded in his zeal. Here's what he once said. He said, while women weep as they do now, I'll fight. While, While little children go hungry, I'll fight. While men go to prison, in and out, in and out, as they do now, I'll fight. While there is a drunkard left, while there is a poor lost girl upon the streets, where there remains one dark soul without the light of God, I'll fight. I'll fight to the very end. And, and as we would uh, begin doing that very thing by serving the poor, as he, as he started to to, 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 to serve the poor as he talks about, as he started to gather them in large crusades and shared the life-changing message of the gospel of Jesus. Hundreds of the poor and homeless of London would begin to commit their lives to Christ. And he naturally thought, as they're coming to Christ, I want to get them connected to a church in their neighborhood. 
And as he, as he tried to connect those that were, were coming to Christ and the homeless, the, the drunkard, the, those who were living on the street, the poor, the neglected, as he tried to get them connected to, to local churches, they would often be rejected by these churches because they had become so respectable. They didn't want their likes sitting in their pews. And they rejected him. The rejection of the various churches of England would spur William Booth and his wife Catherine to start an organization that's now known as the Salvation Army. And while we can cast stones at churches for doing this back in the late 1800s, some 150 years later, in 2021, we're often guilty of the same thing. We stereotype what quote-unquote church people should look like and assume those who don't look a certain way were probably wretched sinners that would never darken the door of a church. Now, stereotypes are really our way of bringing order and making uh, sense of something that we can't really get our minds around, which is God's grace. Like, God's grace is so difficult to understand, to comprehend. The struggle is, his grace isn't usually logical. It rarely makes sense to us. Why does God choose to extend his grace to us and to others that are so undeserving of it. None of us have done anything to earn it. And yet Paul writes in Romans chapter 5 verse 8 that God demonstrates his own love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, we were still sinners even when we didn't deserve it. In the book of Colossians, Paul writes that while we were yet enemies with God, he loved us. When we were doing the polar opposite of what he wants, he still loves us, even when we're undeserving of it. You see, we can have this view of what the church should look like. And this past year, the whole idea of what the church should look like has been blown up in so many ways. Not being able to gather in person. We face challenges like we've never known before. One thing after another, and in spite of what we've come through, we can still have this picture in our minds of what we want it to be. And more often than not, that picture usually is a collection of people just like us. But today, I want to share a little bit of a different picture with you. See, I dream of a church where the poor, the rich, the outcast, and the influencer can all gather together to worship Jesus together. That might sound crazy. A place where your background, your mistakes, your accomplishments, your failures, your wealth, or lack of it don't become determining factors to your ability to follow Jesus. A, a place where Republicans and Democrats, Libertarians and Green Party can actually all come together and worship Jesus. That, that might sound pretty outrageous to you, but, but this is what the church is meant to be. In fact, Jesus modeled this very concept as he gathered his disciples. We often mystify the disciples, like they were, you know, supernatural, like they were something different about them, but they were just regular guys, regular people when you really look at who these guys were, they were kind of a ragtag, diverse group of guys. They weren't the people you would handpick, especially putting them together. Just, just look at Peter and Andrew. Peter and Andrew were brothers. They were blue-collar Jewish fishermen who weren't highly educated. They were just learning their family trait, trade, the, the, the being fishermen. That's what their father did. Or, or you have Matthew, Matthew was a young Jewish man who had aligned himself with the hated Romans, becoming a despised tax collector, where he was literally collecting money from his own people to, to benefit the Romans who had conquered the Jews. 
This is Matthew. And then you have the other side, Simon the Zealot. Simon the Zealot was a political activist, part of a revolutionary group seeking to overthrow Roman rule. I would just love to have heard the conversations that would have happened between Matthew and Simon the Zealot. Opposite ends of the political spectrum, as far as you could get. And they were one of Christ's disciples. On top of that, you have uh, Thomas, an outspoken skeptic, who questioned even Jesus' own resurrection. And, And that's not even to mention Judas Iscariot, a a man who would literally sell Jesus out, abandoning him and handing him over to the authorities to eventually be crucified. This had to have been the most painful of betrayals. And yet, Jesus, knowing all of that, still chose him to be one of his 12 disciples. And, And when you look at it, this group of disciples that Jesus chose, the men that would not only follow Jesus for three years, but would be the very leaders that launched what we know as the church of Jesus today, these are the men that he picked, these are the men he set aside. What a messed up, screwed up group of guys to entrust something of such importance. How crazy is that? And I understand, you might say, well, that was back then. Now, this is how Jesus operates. This is what God always intended the church to be. Not a group of perfectly fit people where everything works out in the end like some Christian sitcom. But it's messy. It's real. It's not always neat and clean. In fact, I'd go so far as to say this. That if the church isn't messy, then God isn't moving. If the church isn't messy, God isn't moving. Here's how I say that. If you go throughout church history, if you know anything about me, I love history. Love history. If you go throughout church history from the first century, the New Testament church, to today, there have been some incredible moments where God moved. We would call revivals, where where the hand of God would move in supernatural ways. Each and every one of those moves of God when you get into the nitty-gritty of it, it was incredibly messy. We were part of a fellowship of churches called the Assemblies of God. If you go back to the Azusa Street Revival in Los Angeles, California, in the early 1900s, it was a revival that took place where African Americans were worshiping with white folks all under the same roof. In the early 1900s, that was incredibly taboo. It was messy. If... If, if it isn't messy, if the church isn't a little messy, then God isn't moving. In fact, this is what Paul illustrated in his letter to the Corinthians, his first letter, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. Listen to this. It says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. This is good. We just celebrated communion today. Think back to the moment you committed your life to Jesus. Think of what you were. Not many of you, listen to this, were wise. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. He's giving all of these indicators, these titles, these descriptives that we like to use to describe ourselves. But, verse 27, God chose the foolish things. Can you say foolish things? The foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things. Can you say weak things? Weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things. Can you say the lowly things? The lowly things of this world and the despised things. One more thing. Despised things. Can you say that? The despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is 
What? Because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is a pretty crazy statement. And, and here's what's interesting. Paul writes this at the beginning. It's chapter one of 1 Corinthians, the beginning of his letter. This is how he lays the groundwork to this church in Corinth that he had started. He's saying, guys, don't think that everything is because of how good you are, how amazing you are. It's Jesus. Now, think of this in our own lives today. With what we've walked through this past week, this past year, this past season, what if this was true? What if what Paul writes here is actually true? How would you handle it? How would you process it? Think about this. Who are those? And please pardon me here for a second as I step on some toes, okay? That's okay with you. If it's not, I'm sorry. You're stuck. Who, who are those that, would con- that you would consider the most unwise in society? Who, who are those that you would despise their influence in your life? Who are those that, that don't come from the right family, have the right name, or have the right background? What group of people are you quick to call idiotic insane or foolish think about who that person or group of people are what if God chose to use them to be part of his bigger redemptive work in our world how would that sit with you you might say you know that's a nice dream Nick it's a nice you know hopeful thought that would never happen though it's not possible the very man that wrote this letter Paul proved that it does happen He was despised. He was hated, feared. He was feared more than probably any person might be for a first century Christian. He he would hunt down followers of Jesus, have them imprisoned and even killed sometimes. If there was an enemy of the church in the first century, it was Paul. He was it. But what does God do? God does what he always does. He destroyed those believers' stereotypes and presuppositions. He radically saves and transforms Paul's life. Paul would not only become a force in the advancement of the gospel and the church in the first century, but he would write most of what we know as the New Testament today because God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. This is why I'm convinced if the church isn't messy, then God isn't moving. I, I love order. If you know anything about I love order. I love things that are organized. I love things to be clean and in the rightful place. But God is in the redemption business. And sometimes that gets messy. Was Paul coming into the church easy, simple, and perfect? Like, did it all just work out? No. It was messy at times. There were conflicts. Distrust had to be overcome, and there were arguments. But God kept moving and working. He didn't stop. Read the book of Galatians. There were some big-time arguments with Paul. Even with Jesus' disciples, there were misunderstandings and sometimes confusion. But Jesus didn't banish those people from his group. He brought them along because this is the picture that God desires for his church. Not a cookie-cutter snapshot, but a picture of the messy diversity present in our world. So what does that mean for us today? What does that mean for us in 2021? It means that we need to learn to be okay with a little messy. 
And when I mean messy, I don't mean unbiblical, I don't mean disorderly, and I don't mean chaotic. But the process of discipleship is and always will be sometimes a little messy. When you look around in church, everyone shouldn't always look and talk like you. It means also that we, we should look at me before we look at them. We love to look at them online, on social media, and the news, whatever it might be. Those that stand, have different stances than us, that look different than us, that talk different than us, that believe different than us. Before we look at why they might be in the church or how God could use them, let's first look inside and allow God to transform my life and my heart. It also means that God brings order to the chaos of our world. He doesn't leave it chaotic. He doesn't leave it messy. He brings order to the mess and the chaos as we strive to follow Jesus together. While we are diverse, while the church shouldn't be this cookie-cutter image of ourselves, it should slowly begin to look like Jesus. We are all pursuing him and what it means to follow him. This is why Paul wrote in verse 30 of 1 Corinthians 1, it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. What does that mean? He's the center. Therefore, as it is written, let know that the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. Jesus is at the center. As the worship team comes today, remember in the end, our work is not to make the world look like us. Our job is not to uh, necessarily make everyone like us. It's to make them like Jesus. Paul even said this, follow me as I follow Christ. Was the goal to make everyone like Paul? No, it was to make everyone like Jesus. So here's what I want to ask you to do with me. When things feel a little messy or uncomfortable, our natural human reaction is to push back against it. When, when things get uncomfortable, we push back against it. It's understandable. It's natural human reaction. I want to challenge you to do something different, though. Let's not push back. That doesn't mean we give in. Let's, let's dig in to what it means to truly follow Jesus and invite others on that journey. Even what we might label, even those that we might label as despised, lowly, and hated, or weak in our world. What if we could fulfill what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1. So I want to ask you to join me first in a journey this next week, the next seven days, through God's word, looking at what it means to really follow Jesus. It sounds incredibly elementary maybe to you. Maybe you're like, I've been in church for decades. Nick, I've been in church longer than you've been alive. That's cool. We can always learn to follow Jesus a little bit better. So here's what I want you to do. If you have your phone, if you're watching online, your computer, your tablet, whatever it might be, go to jesus.calvaryirwin.com on your phone. That's going to take you to the YouVersion Bible app. For the next seven days, let's walk through God's word together. Look at what it means to follow Jesus. If, if God is going to make us a little messy, not us, but our church a little messy, he brings people from all the corners of the world of society to be changed and transformed by the gospel. We need to know what it means to follow Jesus first and foremost. Join me on that app. You can interact and comment. It's a great uh, tool to walk through God's word together. Jesus.calvaryrowin.com 
Let's walk through God's word this week together. We'll start the devotional tomorrow. And you might be like, I can't commit the rest of my life. Well, just seven days through next week. We're just going to do it. If you miss a day, that's cool. Pick back up the next day. Seven days. First thing is, join me on that journey looking at what it means to follow Jesus. The second thing, if you watched last Sunday, I asked everyone to pray for one person this year. Pray for one person that you can be part of introducing to Jesus. One person throughout this whole year. If you weren't watching last week, one person I want you to find, uh, write down, someone in your life, write it down, text it to yourself, however you need to remind yourself. One person that you can pray for this year that you can introduce to Jesus. Here's what I want you to do though. I want you to add a second person on that list. And here's the person. That one person that gets under your skin, that you cannot stand, that maybe you would even use the word despise, maybe not publicly, but in your head, maybe with your friends. That one person that, that just rubs you the wrong way, I want you to start praying for that person this year too. Because my guess is the first person you probably wrote down is someone you're close to, someone that you care about. I want you to, to pray for another person, a person you actually don't care about, a person you might quietly, privately say you hate, a person you can't stand. Don't tell them you're praying for them. Don't, don't do that. But I want you to begin to pray for them this year and ask God to allow you to be part of their redemptive journey toward Jesus. Because here's my, my guess. If you could start praying for them, God actually starts moving. Like there's no one too far gone. Paul was proof. I don't know who this was, but I could guarantee you that there was someone or a group of people that had been praying for Paul before he ever encountered Jesus. And God would radically change his life. And he, the despised, hated man that he was in the first century by Christians, would become one of the great leaders in the early church. Who's that person in your life that you can pray for? I believe God wants something more for us than just going through the motions. The last thing I want to ask you before we're going to take a moment to reflect and sing a song here. Maybe, maybe you're here or maybe you're watching online and you're like, Nick, I'm that mess. I'm that one that's so broken. I don't know if I'm too far gone for Jesus. And I want you to know you're not. No one is too far gone for Jesus. And here in a moment, I'm just going to pray. And if that's you and you say, I, I want to start that journey. I know it might be messy. I, might, I know it might not be perfectly clean and, and everything will fall together the way it should. But I want to begin that journey of following Jesus and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And if that's you, you've never encountered his forgiveness, you've never encountered his grace, today can be the day that you do that. And whether you're here in person or you're watching online, I want you to pray this prayer with me together. Could you guys bow your heads with me as we pray? Lord, I thank you for your grace. God, for those that maybe don't know you, that have never committed their lives to you, I pray that today could be the beginning of a new journey. Lord, of not becoming religious, of not belonging to a church, but of being willing to look at your word and to say, how can I live my life that way? God, I pray for those that are watching, those that are here, that have never made that step, never taken that step. Let today be the first step in that journey. Maybe it's coming to church. Maybe it's joining a group. Maybe, maybe it's saying, you know what? I want to follow Jesus. Well, let today be the first step.
I thank you, Lord, for the miracles you're doing even now in people's hearts and their minds and their lives. God, that you are able to do the impossible and the miraculous even in this place. In Jesus' name. This is Pastor Nick Poole, the lead pastor at Calvary. We're so glad you joined us for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the message. At Calvary Church, we're passionate about leading people into an overflowing life with Jesus. We would love the opportunity to connect with you on your faith journey and hear what God is doing in your life or join you in prayer for any needs you might have. You can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com or send us an email at info at calvaryirwin.com. On our website, you'll find previous week's messages, a list of upcoming events, as well as resources designed to help you take those next steps on your journey of faith. See you next week, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. 